1: Well, uh, this is history, isn't it? Either way, we knew that Game 7 between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens would provide plenty, of ch- plenty to chew on. I'm, I'm looking at you just ready to burst out laughing, and it is very, very entertaining for me as well. But this result, <laughs> let me get, let's get through the opening here. This okay, result, a 3-1 victory for the Montreal Canadiens, and a loss to your delight, Julian, that might mark the end yeah. of the Maple Leafs as no. we know them, certainly will provide that content that we all think. We're getting out of this game for sure. Don't don't say it to my delight. Don't say it in my delight. Come on, you're you're, you're like you're, oh, the viewers can man. see it. If they're watching you, they can see it all oh, over your face. Man. You're just having I'm the sorry. time of your life I, over no, there in the no, mushroom. No, 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 and no. Objective no, no, no. reporter, objective reporter. Still, yes, yes. But you're enjoying this. You're enjoying no,
0: this. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't want people to get it twisted. I'm not enjoying this as someone who's all like, oh, well, of course he's Montreal. He Has to be a fan. I'm strictly just objective. Strictly just putting any fandom I've had from past years at the window or the door or whatever. This has nothing to do with, with taking delight in the Montreal Canadiens winning because of the fact of, of what they were able to do in the series. And we'll get to that later on. But bruh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, <laughs> <laughs> how everyone was saying, man, this is the best Leafs team we've seen in 20 years, Austin Matthews. And look, I was on that trade too. Top three player in this league. They are going to run through the Canadians. leaps in five, all of this stuff, and you lose. You lose. Zone time, you know what it is? I'm thinking of zone time, <laughs> zone time, when we eventually do the recording of the show. And uh, I guess at this rate, it'll be out on Wednesday. And I think of one specific moment. Um, the last, I think it was the last episode we did, where we spoke about the Edmonton Oilers and the fact that they were swept by the Winnipeg mm-hmm. Jets, who will play them on Aids in round two. And our boy, Omar White, known as Tic Tac Tomar on uh, Twitter, took a moment to point out all the Edmonton Oilers fans and be like, hey, now you know how it feels to lose a lead. I bet a lot of Edmonton Oilers fans are looking at Toronto right now being like, hmm, hmm, oh, okay, it's good to know you guys are the masters at blowing leads. In all seriousness, I can't believe this happened. And what really surprised me the most, and and I know we'll get into how well the Canadians played, but the energy from the Leafs and the Leafs fan base And the city, pretty much from Sunday onward into Game 7, was low, was pessimistic. Here we go again. Deja vu, or deja blue, as uh, the illustrious Chris Cuthbert said at the end of uh, Game 7 on Sportsnet. He's a really good commentator. You should really listen to his stuff. But, like, it, it was almost as if, like, everyone in Toronto knew this was going to happen. And it almost feels as if, like, the Leafs kind of knew this was going to happen too. And I'm not sure if the players just fed off the energy they were hearing on radio or in the newspapers or Steve Dangles' LFRs. I don't know if you saw his his LFR leading into game six, but of all the LFRs I've seen him do, where, you know, the Zamboni driver, all the other playoff series, I was like, man, all those other ones, I was like, man, this, this guy is really down bad. He really feels bad. The Game 6 one, I genuinely felt bad because he straight up just yelled, I'm miserable. I can't imagine what his Game 7 video will look like. So I, I that's just how I feel. I'm just in complete shock at this. I have to laugh a bit because of how ridiculous this is, but I am in
1: shock. It is pretty funny if you think about it. I have to admit, it is, it is quite funny. It's not going to be funny to Leaf fans when they're listening no. to this, probably. But I will say about, I mean, the whole thing, Dangle knew. Dangle's been not like, he's been sort of raising the caution flags here and there when I'm listening to either the podcast or seeing his LFRs. He's been raising the caution flags, and maybe he just knew. He understands this team probably more than anyone, but for the ones that don't, maybe on the same level as Dangle, I mean, and you mentioned Tic Tac Tomar. Not, like, not that he's not on that level, but the hubris from Leaf fans who have been standing at the top of the mountain, throwing shooting arrows at all the other teams below, I mean it is going to be a rough week, it's going to be a rough month, oh, it's going to be a rough off season. There might be no turning back from this because there was some serious arrogance on the part of the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base yes, there was. and it came crashing down in the worst way. If you don't know, this is the Yahoo Sports Hockey podcast. Justin Cuthbert, Julian McKenzie. I didn't actually get a chance to go through my intro because you burst out laughing and I I'm and so I wanted so you to be able too. to enjoy yourself because I'm it is so, so it, sorry, it, it it's dude. it's the It's the point where it's like, oh my God, we're doing this again. Crap, I have to write about another failure in the first round for the Maple Leafs. They set a record, by the way, for consecutive do-or-die failures. Four in a row. Four straight seasons where winner moves on and the Toronto Maple Leafs set a record for failure tonight. But you got to laugh eventually. You just have to get to the point where you can laugh. Or you're just gonna be, you know, you're not gonna be able to handle this. You're not gonna be handled be able to handle this loss if you can't get to the point where you can laugh because it's just that bad. It's the just scar- so
0: bad. The scariest thing is, is like there are people who after this Leafs loss, like there's there's laughing and then there's full on turning into the Joker. There are probably people walking around Toronto right now, just all they can do is laugh, like like Arthur Fleck like the Joker. I think someone on Twitter, it might have been Mike Stevens actually said that like if yeah. the Leafs lost this series, they would do the rest of their they would do like their podcast like wearing the Joker outfit. Like yep.
1: What? This really I mean happened? Uh, that's sort of what I'm talking about. Like it was like what? everyone was so confident. Everyone was so confident. Then all these crazy assertions were made and I mean, I don't even know if we fully explained it but the Montreal Canadiens came back from 3-1 and defeated the Toronto Maple Leafs in seven games to move on to the second round to play the Winnipeg Jets. The next 30 to 45 minutes for us, I think depending on you know how much work we have tonight, we'll see how long we go and how much laughing you do. But I mean, I think we're already there. It's like just a comparison of two vastly different vibes that we've been absorbing on Twitter. I think you follow a lot of people in Toronto as well, but mine mm. is like exclusively... Toronto folks who are just going insane right now. So just tell me how Montreal Canadiens Twitter is reveling in this moment, if you will.
0: Okay. So a bunch of Canadians fans are just ecstatic. They're happy. They're relieved. Um, There might be like a small subsection of fans who are thinking, Oh, wait a minute. Does this mean this team is going to be stuck with Dominic Ducharme and mark bergevin but i think those that small faction of fans are just gonna get drowned out by everyone else because i uh, obviously this is incredible what we've seen uh between these two teams uh, i don't know if you noticed during the Sportsnet broadcast but a lot of fans were outside the bell center uh, reveling in in joy and interesting choice from, in the
1: interesting choice from the production team to do that but
0: Yes, very much so. I'm sure they got (laughs) someone from like City TV in Montreal to get something there. And I think people even went downtown to celebrate as well. Like I mentioned, uh, probably not on the same level as it would be in a non-pandemic universe. But the fact that we still have fans outside uh, partying, still quite something. Uh, Also, there's a subsection of fans who are also taking delight in Philip Deneau's post-game press conference. We'll get to that man in a second. uh, with More details in the stats because... What a series that guy had, but I don't know if you Mm -hmm. saw Phil Deneau Deneau steps into the media availability with a box of pizza and he's just eating pizza to start. (laughs) Oh man, it was so funny. And he, I think he was trying to like answer one of the questions and he was like so clearly eating pizza. It was so funny. There were just so many things to laugh at and 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 a lot of joy from a lot of fans, uh, and I saw that on my timeline uh, Jay Perishhow, uh, a great Canadian actor, taking joy in all the uh, Canadianness and the uh, the reveling of course uh, from all the Canadians fans as well. A lot of joy on my timeline, but also a lot of confusion and sadness from a lot of the Toronto people uh, that I follow as well. so uh, yeah, happy times in Montreal land right now.
1: Well, it was pizza in the post game for Phil Deneau. and in the post game for Toronto, it was like. Clear devastation like Jack Campbell, close to tears, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, not too far behind. Sheldon Keefe, I think the first word he said was devastated. So you can kind of tell the difference. And I think you see the expectations there as well. I mean, even if you were, I mean, Phil Deneau might be the guy who just eats pizza in a press conference regardless. But if you're the favorite and you just took care of business against a lesser team, maybe you're not eating the pizza. But when you pull up an upset, And you basically send an entire fan base into, I don't even know what stage of grief they're on, but they're going through it, and an entire fan base is doing that. You can kick up your legs, you can eat the pizza, you can talk with your mouth full. It doesn't really matter, because Phil Deneau shut down Austin Matthews, and he deserves the opportunity to eat that pizza. I will ask you before we get to the game, Mm -hmm. because I think this will also be a contrasting view, and I'm trying to pick up on all these different things. But when did you think the Montreal Canadiens had this in the bag? Honestly, there was like a
0: stretch in the third period where Carey Price was just making save after save. I figured series the Series
1: or games? I meant series, but if you, if you meant series with that answer, then...
0: Oh, no, no, continue. no. Sorry. I didn't mean like series, like whole series. I mean, like in the third period of game seven... Uh, where the Leafs were on the offensive and they kept just throwing shots at him. I don't remember in particular at which point in the period, but it just felt like in the third period, Carey Price, it was just on him to shut the door. And once he was just not letting anything bypass him, I just thought, wow, the Canadians are really going to do this. And then it was fully cemented, obviously, when the empty netter happened. But I thought when Carey Price was was really just putting the guard up to shut everything down for the Leafs, that's what I thought in my mind, the Canadians were going to win this game.
1: So we recorded Saturday, game six, cut Kanyemi scoring the winner. I think I was still reasonably confident that the Leafs would be able to shake things off. And Me too. Despite, despite everything that's, you know, all the context here and everything behind the curtain with them. I still thought, okay, they're probably going to get it together and win this game. And I woke up Sunday. It might have been the lack of sleep, but I thought, wow, the Canadians have sort of figured this out. There's sort of, like, if they can continue, if Phil Deneau can continue to do what they're doing, like, all the momentum is going in their favor. And certainly, we learned about Jake Muzzin. We didn't know at the time on Sunday that Jake Muzzin, the extent of Jake Muzzin's injury, but it didn't look good. I mean, he's grabbing at his groin saying there's no way he can go. I mean, usually that's not something that you can come back 48 hours with. Um, But I think all my expectations, or that sort of started to seep in on Sunday morning. But when I saw Carey Price in the first period. He only dealt with eight shots, I believe. But that just looked like the carry price that I've seen at World Cups, the carry price that I've seen at Olympic Games, the carry price when he was winning heart trophies, or a heart trophy. He just looked completely in control from this jump at this game. And when he's in that mode, and the Maple Leafs are trying to are trying actively to play a game that is low on major opportunities and goals and all and the like. They were they were focused first on defense it seems if you and we'll go into the post game later but when you're trying to play that game and you've got Carey Price playing the way he is or looking the way he did in that first period and I had people say oh he only made eight saves like he didn't do much no he was dialed in he was so fluid he was so in control and when I saw that Carey Price arrive in this game uh, I knew it was curtains for the Leafs
0: another thing I have to mention about those Leafs as well Mitch Marner brought up what at the end of game six that about the fact that his team had so many problems starting games on time. And I just expected game seven, they would be, I guess the aggressors are or the, or the team in control to start off this game. It, you know, the fact that they're at home, it's an elimination game. They have fans. We didn't even mention the fact that healthcare workers were in attendance at Scotiabank yeah. arena. And I did not get that sentiment at all. I got the sentiment that both teams were nervous. And while, you know, the, the Canadians had chances, there's like one opportunity in particular where like Paul Byron made a pass to Josh Anderson and he couldn't even control the puck. There were other instances with the Leafs where I just thought, I was just surprised at the fact that they did not impose themselves. I figured this would have been the game for them to, even if they don't get goals off Carey Price, they're peppering him with shots. They're, they're controlling the flow of the game. And I did not get that sentiment from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm just really sur- – I mean, I'm surprised at the entire result of this game for them, obviously. But that first period to me stands out as, as something that I'm just kind of shaking my head over because this was a golden opportunity for the Leafs. It's inexplicable. You you need your best players to step up, obviously. But the fact that they had a first period at home with all those fans in the arena and they were kind of middling around at points, inexplicable. It was
1: just, just no. stunning. It's like they decided they want to play a perfect defensive game and then win win the game on the few opportunities that they were going to get, almost like Montreal in game one. We talked about the series shifting and flipping on its head and the momentum swinging one way or the other with different events that happened early and, and now late. Like That's what happened in this series. The Leafs decided they wanted to be Montreal in game one when they were really supposed to be the team that was supposed to bring the firefight, bring the fire. They didn't do It doesn't make any sense. We'll get into the full game. Uh, But we got to get to our main takeaways. I guess this could be more of a series, could be a game takeaway. Uh, But I got to look at the bigger picture here and the fact that this Maple Leafs offseason, it now cannot not be fascinating. Like literally, they could do, they could decide we're going to run it back. We're just going to, we believe in this group. Nothing happens and it'll still be fascinating because it's all about what Kyle Dubas takes from this, what Brendan Shanahan takes from this. Like, will the Leafs stand by the assertion that we can and we will win with that big four locked up to major tickets? Are the fans just going to be like, yo, we're done here? Like, th- we've heard a lot of that tonight. But I could see some serious uprising this offseason because their people are so angry. There's so much to unpack for this team. And there's honestly so much to unpack for the rest of the league. Like, I think one thing the Leafs were banking on, and this is going a little bit far down, but my fo- my thought about this team... If they were going to win around those four players is the key concept that they were trying to prove is that, okay, we can build this nest egg and we can attract all these different veterans and talented players that are not at the very height of their game anymore, but will come and play for us.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And now I'm thinking, who would ever want to come? There's like a fundamental flaw. There's a broken element to this system. And if that's how you're going to build your teams, and that's how you're going to have to build your teams, because there's no money left unless you want to break it all up, but they don't have any other choice but to choose from the bargain bin to fill out their lineups with the way they're constructed and the way the salary cap isn't moving. And now if you're Nick Foligno, who's so gung-ho to come, gets his dad's hat, puts it on in the first press conference, you know... Just bigging it up for the media and just trying to do, you know, trying to play that role as the happy former Ontario boy that gets to come home. I think those guys are going to be few and far between now, honestly, because Thornton tried it, Felino tried it, Simmons tried it, and not only did they not hold up to their end of the bargain, but the guys they came to play with didn't hold up there to the end end of the bargain. So, is that even a strategy they can go with? And if they don't have that, what other options do they have? Like, the, the, the Maple Leafs are in such a difficult spot here. And what they plan and what they do this offseason, everything they do, every time someone opens their mouth, whether it's Dubas or Keefe or a player or a signing's made, it's going to be front-page news. Like, it's just going to be – it's going to send everyone back into the tizzy because everything they do is going to be so under the microscope. I can't even – I can't wait, actually. It's going to be actually fun. It's crazy. <laughs> I cannot wait to see what they do now that this season is over.
0: Man, you know what? Even uh, as someone not in the Toronto market, I'm very much interested in what's going to happen. I'm very much going to be looking out for James Myrtle uh, or Pierre Lebrun or any of my other colleagues who may have intel or info on what's going to be happening with the Leafs offseason because I don't know how you go through a season like that and you don't do anything. I understand that... You know, ultimately, you know, your top two players, they did not produce. Yes, you did not have John Tavares. Maybe he makes a difference in this series. Maybe he doesn't. We'll never know at this point. Yeah. But at this point, like, if you're Kyle Dubas, maybe some people see it as a reactionary move. Maybe it's a knee-jerk thing. But I don't know if you can go through this offseason without making a significant move. And unfortunately, I i mean, I don't think it should happen. I mean, I think, if the, I think if the Leafs want to do something, it might mean having to trade Will and Nylander. I'm sorry. I, I think it might it, the best player for them in this series. It might have to be that. Because good luck trying to offload well, Marner in his contract and what he did in the playoffs. You're not I, think you could, I think
1: you could trade Marner if you want. I don't know if you're getting full value for him, though.
0: That's what I'm saying. You're not going to get the same return. You'll get you value get for, for Nylander. Nylander.
1: That's what I'm saying. It's crazy. I mean, big moves are promised. Just the way they're set up, I mean, Zach Hyman's UFA, Freddie Anderson's UFA, basically their entire bottom six is UFA. Morgan Riley's UFA in two years. Like, There's so much that they got to deal with on top of the fact that they might have to trade someone from their core and go against the promise Kyle Dubas made that he wouldn't do that. He directly promised William Nylander he wouldn't. I'm sure he didn't have to bring that up with Matthews or Marner. Surely they don't think they would ever be subject to that and John Tavares is no trade clause not going anywhere Mm-mm. it's crazy I, I uh, it's it's honestly insane the position the Toronto Maple Leafs find themselves at. it's going to be so so noteworthy and fascinating and I can't wait I cannot wait can we just get to the part where Colorado and Tampa play in the Stanley Cup final yeah I, I'd,
0: I'd rather that at this point um, I okay your takeaway part... okay um Man, the Montreal Canadiens shut a lot of people up in the city. They shut a lot of people up in the hockey world. You probably mm-hmm. remember the Sportsnet list of uh, proclamations and predictions for that series. A lot of Leafs, a lot of Leafs in six. I think Eric Engels, uh, based out of Montreal, uh, was the only one out of Sportsnet who had Leafs in seven. Mm. And I think he even quote tweeted before <laughs> game seven saying, is it too late for me to switch my prediction? I th- uh, I think
1: Angles, Angles in his heart wanted Canadians yeah. in seven. He wanted it. Oh, he just didn't yeah. want it. Didn't want to go that hard against the grain, though. Nah, he didn't. But, I, it's a cool story
0: for them. They shut a lot of people up, and they really highlighted the fact that yes, the Canadians did not have a good second half of their season, but it really just shows the light how much they needed that week off to rest, but also just needed to kind of dig their heels into a series, and maybe the team that was constructed can really bang in the playoffs after all. I think a lot of people were worried that the Leafs would have their way with them and they weren't constructed. Right. And I still think Dominic Ducharme and some of the coaching decisions that he did at the beginning of the series are still warranting of criticism. But as the series went on, the way that the team was playing there were fewer and fewer criticisms going towards Dominic Ducharme and, and, the team just played. They they played. They they played. Carey Price held them up, kept them in there, and they didn't. They weren't shooting the lights out, but they were doing just enough to to, to dispatch of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as I alluded to earlier, I I I still think the feelings of of deja vu going into a game seven and those those that was those familiar terrible feelings for the Leafs obviously played a part. That's what I think. But the Canadians were taking advantage, and 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 I think the fact that. They went into game seven with not nearly as much pressure as the Leafs were facing. Brennan Gallagher even acknowledged in the post-game presser that like, you know, for games on the road like that, like it's a lot easier for them to play and settle into their game. Mm
1: -hmm. Felt
0: as if the Canadians were playing with, with house money. So for, for them to win this series, this is a big, this is a big deal. I don't know what it means ultimately for the construction of this team I don't know what it means for even for the futures of Bergevin and and Dominic Ducharme. I think Dominic Ducharme at this point, uh, when it comes time for him to uh, sit down with Bergevin and determine whether or not the interim label gets taken off of him, he can always point to this series and be like, hey, not only did I get a playoff series win, we knocked off the best team in the North Division in the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we can always have that in his back pocket. Also on Mm -hmm. top of the fact that I don't think the – pool of potential candidates to replace him is all that vast when you consider the fact that the canadians have obviously prioritized the fact they want a french-speaking bilingual coach so i think he also has that to his advantage as well and i still think the way the pandemic has messed with team finances across the league and whatever the weirdness of this year i think that also could play a role but there's a lot of big picture stuff that a lot of Canadians fans, a lot of Montreal people probably won't even really need to think about right now because there's not a lot of time for this team to get ready. They have a game one in the second round Wednesday, Wednesday against the Winnipeg Jets. And even as I say that out of my mouth, I still cannot believe it. I did not think they would get this far. And yeah, the players might even say, hey, you know what? We have a lot of pride in the room and we were able to get to this point, but this is – I'm shell-shocked. I don't know what to say they did
1: it. Yeah, I, I I mean I don't know what it means for Montreal. You obviously know better than me. Um but I will say when Mark Bergevin came down to ice level, which you don't see all the time at the end of the first round, certainly you don't see it in a bright red suit which is was loud <laughs> as can be. Uh he looked as he was like sort of grabbing at Carey Price and trying to uh you know celebrate with him. It looked like a guy who got his job saved by Carey Price. I think I'll, it looked, I'll say this. It looked like a guy who was happy that, or relieved and thinks he might have an extra life. I don't know.
0: I'll add this. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, to point that out with, with the relation between Bergevin and Price. You have to go all the way back to partway through the season when Bergevin was in the midst of, of flipping chairs with the coaching staff. So not long after Claude Julien loses his job, the goaltending coach, Stefan Waite, uh, is dismissed in the middle of a game. And the word, the reports that were going around after that firing was that Marc Bergevin essentially told Stéphane Waite that he needed to make a change and he needed Carey Price to get back to his original form or else it was going to affect his job. This is what Stéphane Waite had relayed to the French media. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when you see a move like that, on top of the fact that Claude Julien uh, lost his job, on top of the moves you saw in the offseason, My view, and I think that a lot of other media members, you saw a general manager who was just desperate to make something work. I mean, next year will be the final year uh, on his contract in the job that he's in. And who knows? if, If they had lost that series against the Leafs, I have no clue what that next season looks like for him. Maybe Jeff Molson gives him the vote of confidence and just keeps him. You're right. I think now it's a much bigger chance that he stays. I don't know if he gets extended beyond next year. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe it's too soon to do that. You have to see what the series looks like against the Jets. Yeah, But yeah, you're right. Mark Bergevin definitely looks like someone who could breathe a little easier. And one big reason why is Carey Price, the guy who costs all the money that he costs, $10.5 million, just, you know, in an age where you don't necessarily have to pay your goaltender Ten million dollars. You don't even have to necessarily pay him like eight or nine million dollars. I know the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be committing a lot of to Andre Vasilevsky, but you don't necessarily. The one, need that's to the do.
1: one worth it. That's the one worth it. I think right now.
0: I think, uh, and I put this up on Twitter before we started. Sixteen of the top seventeen highest-paid players according to cap hit out of the playoffs. One of those wow. seventeen remain, and it is Carey Price, and he wow. has been worth every penny in this
1: series. Um, I mean, I think it would be short-sighted for Montreal to look at one seven-game series and decide to course-correct or change the path that they wanted to be on, whether it was Jeff Molson deciding that he wanted a new person in charge and this was Berge- Bergevan's last chance to get it done, just his time was reaching its conclusion and to decide, oh, because he beat the Leafs here, that, uh, you know, actually he's got more length or more leash than you were originally going to give him. I think that would be short-sighted, but then again... This isn't just a small thing. This isn't just a first round victory. This was a huge win over a storied rival, something that not just not just humiliates your storied rival, but and not and doesn't even propel you by them in any fashion really. But 5 million people were watching this game in Canada probably tonight. Like a big moment, a big moment in the history of the game. They could win the North Division, the only time we'll ever have North Division winners. And again, that's all like just window dressing, really, for the big pitcher, which is to try and win a Stanley Cup. But this seemed like more than just a first round victory. It seemed like something that actually is meaningful in the long run. And I think Bergevin definitely accomplished something here. A lot went into it in terms of fortune. Tavares, we'll get into all that as well. But this team seemed lost after game one, even though they won it and not playing There's two stars or two guys that are so important to the future of the team and then reacting to it and completely changing the way they played and then beating the Maple Leafs in the end at their own game, be out leafing the Leafs by the end of it. It seemed like (laughs) it it was, it's just a crazy turn of events. And I feel like I would get swept up in it too, a little bit like, Hey, bridge van has one year left on his contract. Let's let him do it again. He gave us something this year. He gave us the best moment we've had as a franchise in a, in a long time here. For real. So, I I I, I mean, I think they're going to have a live – they're a live underdog. I think they'll be in a, in a series versus the Jets for sure. But there's no reason why they can't win that series and continue to move on. Not with the way that Carey Price is playing. Anything's possible.
0: Yeah, and, and if they find a way – I mean, the, the only thing is, is just that top six from the Winnipeg Jets was hungry and they were able to do their thing against the Edmonton Oilers – you find a way to shut all those guys down i mean good luck but geez i mean i'll say this uh, it's the same formula yeah and and i mean carrie price you want him in in a seven game series if he continues to play all that well he gives his team a chance they just need to get two three goals in a game and who knows the canadians can get a win or two or three or even four i don't know it's just maybe it's because of the fact that we're still just like what, like a little over, like how many out, I mean, we're recording this, you know, that, that like shortly after the game happened, Yeah. It's still, maybe that shock is still kind of there, but like, I just, I just can't believe it. it. like this team at the beginning of the year, I thought, wow, they really impressed with the wins they were able to get because of all the goal scoring and the space they were able to get uh, against some of these teams like a Vancouver. And even in games like Toronto where sure they lost that opening game of the year, but they were swarming them. They were back-checking, forward-checking. They were doing all these things right, and they were keeping up with them. And then you go through the second half of the year where they look like a shell of themselves, and you just think that's just what they're going to be. But even if they hang on for dear life in game six and game seven and game five, they still beat the Leafs. It's just – you can't – I don't know. I don't know, dude. It's just – i can't believe it like I it is it is harder it is hard
1: to wrap our heads around this it's, it's i'm so it's, it's sorry that it's I'm crazy
0: not, i'm sorry i'm not more eloquent about this i'm, I'm right sorry there with you, that I'm t- i i just i just can't believe it i and i i, I think a lot of people in the city in montreal would obviously feel the same too like i don't know if they could put too much words behind this this is i don't think a lot of people expected this to happen i think a lot of people are obviously happy but no but how many people? I mean fine, the Leafs make things hard for themselves. And some people will always say, yeah, it is the Leafs. They haven't won in how many years. But with the way the Canadians were looking, especially after game four, that to me will always stick with me. Game four, not getting any goals, just thinking, wow, this team is dead in the water. And they Mm -hmm. completely rebounded from that. That is a huge turning point in this series for them and possibly for the playoffs, depending on how it goes against Winnipeg.
1: Okay, let's try to make sense of this. Let's um, let's, let's get into the series. We'll get into Game Seven. We'll get into Carey Price. I think the pertinent question, just to try and get into the series, is: Did the Habs win this series, or did the Maple Leafs lose this series? What exactly happened here? What are sort of the mechanics of this upset? I mean, I mean, the first thing that you would point to is certainly the fact that the that the Montreal Canadiens found a way to stop Austin <clears throat> Austin Matthews, excuse me, and Mitch Marner from doing any damage. I mean, only one game in the series did they produce anything. If you want to give them the credit for the garbage time goal that included William Nylander and Jason Spezza, they were out on the ice, but that's not them. We're talking about five-on-five minutes over an hour of Phil Deneau versus Austin Matthews before Game 7. So probably another 10 minutes. They probably got to about 70, close to 75 minutes head-to-head across seven games. And Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner produced virtually nothing against Phil Deneau. And that top line and the difference in this game and the game obviously producing the difference in the series was the fact that that top line of Montreal scored the first goal that Toronto could never get back or put them into chase mode the entire game. So I think first and foremost, the success of that top line, that top defense core and shutting down Austin Matthews and Mitch Martyr, who did not perform in this series for reasons that are Probably mostly due to their opposition, but also partly due to the immense pressure on them. And I think, I mean, they denied it in the post game, but I don't know how you could say that it did not affect them. Second part of it, from the Leafs' perspective, is the injuries, right? Mm-hmm. You lose John Tavares in Game 1, it changes your enchi- entire dynamic. The Maple Leafs go from a, one, from a two-line team with, you know, a third and fourth line that has a lot of utility and has a function in their system to a one-line team and three non-scoring units, essentially. It became that way, at least, when William Nylander and Alexander Kerfoot were broken up. They were they carried them. Kerfoot and Nylander, that partnership, carried them, and they could only carry them so far, especially when they were broken up. So Leafs injuries, coupled with the fact that Matthews and Marner didn't perform, that is sort of the recipe here for Montreal. <clears throat> but I also have to introduce... Another idea, which is the questionable tactics of Sheldon Keefe. And I talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast. But the way the Maple Leafs pro- approach this game has me scratching my head. A controlled firefight is what the Maple Leafs should have wanted in this series. We have the better, we being the Leafs, we being Sheldon Keefe, have the better overall top-end finishing talent. So if we go, if we get 10 chances and they get 10 chances... We're going to put in two, maybe they get one, we win the game. Instead, they decided to try and play a perfect defensive performance in Game 7 and just see if they could get enough offense. But then one mistake, and a microcosm of the game was that one mistake. Mitch Marner losing the puck at the blue line, it coming back the other way. And Mitch Marner, trying hard but not being effective. I think that's the story of his entire series. Trying hard but not getting results. He pushed matthews with his stick to get him back into the back check and matthews just got there in time to sort of disrupt the view the shot a little bit from gallagher and it clearly fooled jack campbell jack campbell called it the worst goal he's ever given up in his nhl career by the way Mm. in the postgame so that's a microcosm that is the two most important players on the maple leafs trying but failing and i think that is the story of the series, Matthews and Marner, trying but failing. But the injuries certainly played a role. And frankly, Sheldon Keefe did not have a good series. So if I had to answer the question, did the Habs win it or did the Leafs lose it? Honestly, I think more so the Leafs lost it.
0: In my view, um, it's kind of tough. I, I want to say the Leafs lost this series again because of the way that they approached Game 7. Uh, But I also have to point out a lot of the mistakes. You kind of alluded to it with the mistake that uh, happened with Mitch Marner leading to the very first goal, but you can go all the way back to game five. Game five, the Alex Galchenyuk turnover uh, leading to the two-on-oh with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. That ultimately saves the Canadians and it gives them life. Game six, uh, the Travis Dermott spinorama in his own end in an overtime where the Toronto Maple Leafs dominated and they only allowed two shot attempts from the Canadians. One of them mm-hmm. leading to the Yzbarri kakanyemi goal, and then the first goal of the game scored uh, by Gallagher. You mentioned the mistake by Marner, of being the good on the defense for the Canadians to to poke that away from Marner and eventually lead to an offensive scoring chance. But I mean, again, for Marner, just a series for him. He's made so many mistakes and just looking frustrated at times. The Canadians took advantage when the Leafs made crucial mistakes and they got burned for it, the Leafs. And it's not as if like the the Canadians were overwhelming them at all times with goal scoring and winning four, four, nothing, five, nothing. They were just kind of there waiting in the weeds, just patiently grinding. And then when the opportunity struck, they were able to take advantage when the Leafs were caught doing bad power Mm -hmm. play goal as well uh, for Corey Perry, which eventually turns into the game winning goal. I forget who took the penalty off that play that led to that, but the Montreal Canadiens, again, taking advantage of a mistake leading to a goal for them. Uh, So when I think of those things, I'm more inclined to say that the Leafs lost this series. However, it's worth giving the Canadians credit in the fact that Carey Price did what he needed to do, being the team's best player over a seven-game stretch. You've praised Phil Deneau, uh, for his work, that top line pretty much made it its entire mission throughout the entire series uh, to shut down Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews to the point that they sacrificed their offensive game. Brennan Gallagher gets the first goal of the game in Game 7. He plays his best game of the series, by the way, with the shots on net he had. It was a really great shot block he had in the first period on Alex Chenya, and then he gets himself the goal in the second period. But that goal from Gallagher – Is the first is the only goal that line scores all series long. Phil Deneau has zero had zero points. The funniest thing about Phil Deneau for much of the year, we know him as a defensive center, we know him as a guy who can go out against other teams' best players. But because of of his contract talks in the offseason, where he reportedly the the reports going around that he shot down like a 30 million dollar deal, the reports go around about that. And he goes through this tough stretch where he is not able to buy a goal. We know him as a defensive center, but the media and fans are critiquing him for the fact that he is not able to produce offensively. And he goes through a series like this against Austin Matthews, against Mitch Marner. He gets no goals, no points, and it doesn't matter. He's the hero. It doesn't matter. It does not matter about his offensive production. It does not matter. He does not score. The fact that he is able to... Shut down uh, two of the league's best players, like that that's the big thing. Like a lot of people, I'm sure if you go on LDS right now, they are probably going through his, his his their interviews with him, and guys on their panel are gonna rant and rave about how good Phil Deneau was. And who cares if he has the Sam Mitchell stat line zero 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 zero? Because when it really mattered for him, he was able to To do very well, but also Brendan Gallagher and Jake Evans also deserve credit as well. Uh, Thomas atar maybe a little less so because you want him to do more things on the offensive, but uh, guys like Gallagher and and Evans also have to step up against those best players as well. Brendan Gallagher called going up against Marner and and Matthews the hardest assignment he's ever had to do in his life. Like that was a tough job, and the fact that Mm -hmm. they were they, they still allowed quite a few shots from them, but. Ultimately, they didn't really get much from them. No. Big testament to how that line did, and the fact that they were able to come away from that with pretty much just one goal between all four players who ended up playing on that line at some point in this series is really incredible. Yes, that's their job to shut. It was their job to shut down, but the fact that they weren't able to produce nearly as much—that's incredible to me.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the Alex Galchenyuk um, giveaway because that was the turning point in this series if we're being honest. I mean, it. it's, it's sort of... <clears throat> it obviously brought Montreal back into the series, but prevented what felt like the end for Montreal. Like, if we're going into that overtime period, yeah, I mean, it's a tight game. But, I mean, you know, Leafs are up 3-1. They now can win with the next goal. Montreal's on the brink of elimination at that point. And Galchenyuk gives up that puck. But I think what that giveaway did <clears throat> was allowed... The progress that Montreal was making in the series to get to the point where they could shift the momentum. Because I mean, we've already talked about this, but the ultra conservative start for Ducharm. How we didn't play Kakinyemi until game two, how we didn't play Caulfield until game three. I'm right with that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You are right. Yes.
1: So so they decided at the start the only way we can hang with this team is if we just try to be perfect defensively, counter and and it worked in Game 1. That was the plan in Game 1. And that was probably the plan in the series. But when Tavares went out, it opened up the door for them to be more aggressive. Kanyemi got in. Uh, he did score in his first game. But the immediate impact, not as much as it, it grew. His, his place in the series grew and ultimately culminated with the Game 6 overtime winner. Caulfield gets in. He has that big moment in Game 5. So these players got in after the Tavares injury. They made those changes, just a change in philosophy from Montreal. But it probably wasn't going to be enough unless Galchenyuk threw that pizza up the middle. And once he did, a little bit more belief, a little bit more, you know, feet, your feet further planted under you, feet are under you in the series a little bit more. Then they won that game six into the overtime. And by that time, that that, that period, I think the the balance of power had swung in the in the in the series fully by that point in Montreal. I mean, this was a 50, 50 game certainly, but the way that Toronto approached it, I think it even put the, put the advantage even further in Montreal's favor, really by the, by the time that we got, we saw the puck drop on game seven here. I mean, I think that we, those are sort of the mechanics of the series game seven. I guess we could dissect a little bit more. We kind of talked about the Leafs bad start, you know, they fall into the familiar pattern of the last few games of chasing the game, They're actually at their best when they're chasing the game. So giving up the lead a little bit earlier seemed to be, you know, not a terrible thing with the way they responded to that first goal. But then they get into that penalty trouble again. Angval takes the first penalty of the game. Maple Leafs' power play has been terrible. Their penalty kill, okay, up until late. And Montreal found a way to strike again. And then there was 2-0. And then, you know, from there on, I think what has happened in the past crept into their head and they couldn't overcome that like that was, the, that was the deficit they couldn't overcome because they knew in their minds that they had they were on the brink of this catastrophe so I think you know the Tavares injury huge but all these little seeds were planted along the way and then when it got to this 50-50 scenario one team was as you mentioned free roll the other was well inside of its head and it featured the team that was far more loose no?
0: Yeah I I, I completely agree Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I still feel the Canadians enter that game seven with, with not essentially nothing to lose. And the, and I'm glad you brought up the fact that, I mean, we kind of just moved through it with game six, but I think as we really take a step back here, I think the fact that they were able to force a game six, even if they won in overtime, Uh, Through a mistake in a period where otherwise they probably should have lost. I still think the fact that they were able to force that win in game five and get that opportunity to play in front of fans in game six, I think that really galvanized this team. I think that really gave them some wind in their sails to to kind of push them forward. And, you know, the fact that they had all those fans in the building uh, while Toronto for some reason was just not able to capitalize with, with the healthcare workers in their building, that's still something that really, really surprised me and i'll mention Corey perry uh in another point here i know i'm kind of jumbling through some other takeaways as well
1: no go uh, for it
0: just a guy who you know veteran presence look at him uh, you look at all the bottom sixes between both teams of all the old wiley vets between both sides here Corey yeah. perry ends up being the better of all of them including jason spencer including john joe thornton including wayne simmons uh just off of the fact that he's able to put himself in the right place at the right time on so many instances, that goal he scores uh, on the power play uh, just in the right place at the right time. Uh, You see Tyler remember just Tyler fully celebrating with him after the fact, just thinking like, wow, like they were able to get that goal on the power play Uh, a not necessarily a source of strength for the Montreal Canadiens at different points in the regular season and the early parts of the series. And the last thing I'll mention is just the youth and Dominic Ducharme, will still get critiqued for not starting Jesperi Kakademi and Cole Caulfield in the first game of the series, but let this just be a lesson for Dominic Ducharme going forward. He can rely on his young players. He can rely on Kakademi to play well. He can rely on Nick Suzuki to hold the fort and just kind of nurture the partnership he has with Cole Caulfield going forward. Jake Evans is not going to show up on a lot of score sheets, but I think he's able to provide... A lot of good hustle plays you can back check and he's he's he was able to hang on that top line with Phil Deneau and Brandon Gallagher uh this Montreal Canadiens team has has some decent young players and while they leaned on veteran playoff experience uh, to start off this series this Montreal Canadiens team when they need to they've been able to lean on some of their younger guys they've been able to to help out at different points in this series so I, I think if you're Dominic Ducharme going up against the Jets. Don't be afraid to to, to really let Kok and Yemi and Cole Caulfield uh, go out on the ice and, and let them do their thing because the young players have shown that they can work and they can do well.
1: Well, I certainly hope he does. I mean, I, I hope Montreal in round two versus Winnipeg plays the way they have in the latter half of this series. I mean, there's no point there's there's no point trying to trying to win the way they tried to win in Game 1 versus the Leafs against Winnipeg. I, I just don't see how that's productive in any way. You have great players on the team. You have this talent that could just become immeasurable, you'd think, at any point. with Cole, Cole Caulfield hasn't even really had his playoff Stanley Cup playoff moment to have his own. Like, yeah, he played a huge role in the Game 5 overtime winner, but he hasn't had that big moment for himself, and I think that's coming for him. And you can trust Suzuki. You can trust Yemi. These guys can play. These guys can match up against Winnipeg. I think if they put their best foot forward with Carey Price in net, they have a chance to beat Winnipeg and get to round three, where they'd probably face Colorado, which would be ugly. But you know, I won't I won't rain on their parade because clearly anyone from Toronto can't say nothing about what's happening in Montreal. I'm glad you mentioned Corey Perry because I I think it kind of leads me into. Just a quick thing on Kyle Dubas in his offseason. Mm. It was reported that Corey Perry wanted to come to Toronto, right? I think that's been sort of something I, that's, I think
0: I've seen something about like that around, yeah.
1: I, I, I don't think it's a secret that that was something that was considered, maybe proposed. Um, but I guess the Leafs didn't want to go that route. And if that was the case, that was a major mistake. Because what they wanted in Thornton and Simmons and Felino Montreal had in Corey Perry. It's just it's just flat out the truth. You see the Leafs continue to trot Joe Thornton out on the power play to win face-offs and get to the front of the net. He never played in front of the net when he was an all-time or an all-world player for the San Jose Sharks. That wasn't his role. This isn't something he does. Net front play, that's in Corey Perry's blood. And it came, it came to roost multiple times in the series. Like he was a force in that regard. Yeah, he's not going to be the guy that's going to I mean, that's what, that's what the Leafs wanted from Simmons or expected from Simmons or Thornton or Felino anyway. The guy that's going to put up 40 points in a 56 game season. That's the type of guy that they needed was Corey Perry. And, you know, I'm probably victim or I'm probably, uh, guilty rather of overrating Kyle Dubas's season, like pretty much everyone in Toronto is off season rather and his season because he worked all season to improve his team. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slam him like I did last summer when he pretty much built a flawed team because this was a really good team. Um, was Thornton a mistake? Maybe. Is Felino a mistake? Probably. Was Simmons a mistake? Potentially as well because they paid him twice as much as Corey Perry was earning in Montreal. I think they're gonna live to regret this active and very expensive and what will be a costly deadline. I mean they threw a lot at the bounty of players that they got back. Riddick, Hutton, guys that we never saw in the postseason. Felino, who we probably shouldn't have seen in the postseason. Riley Nash, who didn't have the desired effect. Like all that, that cost a lot of capital for them to go all in. And really, none of that helped. Um, so I think they'll live to regret that a little bit. But again, I think if you, if you look at it, they dealt with some incredible misfortune. Losing Tavares, something you could have never planned for. Losing Muzzin, maybe that was it. Once Muzzin went out, they just it wasn't gonna happen for them. So I, I still stand by the fact that I think Kyle Du built a hell of a hockey team. I just think he might have built a hell of a regular season hockey team. And until they get away from the fact that they want brand name and you know, good stories and guys that are gonna uplift the dressing room over like utility, guys who can actually do a job. The fact of the matter is they're still light years away. You look at the Colorado Avalanche. And we talked about this. Who comes up when Nathan McKinnon has to miss some time? Tyson Jost, former top 12 pick, I think. Like th- That's the sort of depth that they're cultivating there. Andre Burakov- Burakovsky on the third line. Jonas Donskoy, bottom six minutes. Like th- The Maple Leafs don't have that. Montreal is close to having that. What they're lacking is Matthews and Marner, if we're, if we're being honest here. Yeah. So until you realize that you need depth that is not just there for a good time, a short time, a good time, a fun time, whatever, you need guys that are going to do a job for you. And too many of the Maple Leafs forwards became irrelevant in this series too quickly. And I think that's the main takeaway that they have to take from this, this failure. I think there might be more, but if there's anything that they take, they need a fi- to find a way to get guys that are not just... You know, come on, $700,000, let's see what you can do. It's no, that guy's going to do this precise thing for us. And we need it in the postseason.
0: I, I know you brought up brand names. Uh, well, as soon as you brought that up, there was one name that came to my head and I can't help, but wonder if, and I don't really know how close the Leafs were to getting him at the deadline, but I can't help, but wonder if he would have made a difference for them in the series because he's made a difference for the Boston Bruins right now and Taylor Hall, yeah. Yeah. you know, like I, I still don't understand why so many people did not want to touch this guy with a 35 foot pole, but that's a guy I think the, the, Toronto Maple Leafs could have used for, for all the scoring and scoring punch he could provide in a secondary role. He's he didn't necessarily want to be put in a situation where he wanted to be the top line guy. Imagine if, if the Toronto Maple Leafs had William Nylander and Taylor Hall picking up the slack when, when Marner and Matthews weren't playing. I don't know how close Kyle Dubas was to, to making a trade happen. I think considering what the return was between Buffalo and Boston, I can't imagine that Toronto wouldn't have had a, a package that would have matched them. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, it wasn't even that much. It was like a second, in, like Anders Bjork. Like I'm sure the yeah. Dubas had something, but I don't know. I think if you're, if you're Toronto, you think of all the guys you did get throughout the year and you mentioned that they weren't really used all that much. If they had gotten, if they had gotten Taylor Hall instead of those guys, I'm not sure what the series is like, but I think they get way more goals at least.
1: It would have been interesting. I mean, I, I, all reports are that Kyle Dubas just wasn't interested in Taylor Hall. Uh, people are saying that Taylor Hall would have came to Toronto because he had full control of where he went. And I didn't think they should go after Taylor, Taylor Hall at the time. Uh, that's partly because what I saw in Buffalo was uninspiring, but clearly he's played very, very well in Boston. I don't think it fit perfectly, but once Tavares went out, you see how that would make a lot of sense and how that would fit perfectly because exactly what they were missing was that second impact guy beyond uh, Matthews and Marner and the guy that could take advantage of a matchup against Caulfield, Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, Tafoli, whoever. Uh, that's what, really what they were missing. So if they had even spent, and it wouldn't have cost this, but if they had spent everything they spent on Hutton, Riddick, Felino, and Nash, which is a lot more than the Bruins paid for Taylor Hall. It probably wouldn't have been a bad deal in the end because they might still be playing at this point. Uh, it does lead the Leafs into a seriously busy offseason. I've talked about it a little bit, um, but I mean, what do we know about the careers of Thornton, Spets, and Simmons? I have no idea, but in terms of Leafs that are going to be playing probably next year, UFAs, Hyman, Simmons, we don't know if he's playing, but probably Nick Foligno, Alex Galchenyuk, Spezza, we believe, will be back. Zach Bogosian, Freddie Anderson, all unrestricted free agents. And I think that still leaves the most interesting trade piece, and that's Morgan Riley. He's a UFA one more year after that. Uh, I think everything, all everything that I just made, mentioned, every player that I just mentioned, no lock to be back next year. I think everything is on the table for this team. I don't think Freddie Anderson, like, just silently into the night, unfortunately. But I think Riley's the interesting one. That would be a massive, massive move. It wouldn't be as big as the Big Four. But I feel like Morgan Riley, I feel like his name's going to be out there. And uh, I have no basis to say that. But, you know, tea leaves and what maybe should and will happen this summer.
0: Seth Jones? Do you think the Leafs should go after Seth Jones?
1: I mean, the defense was not their issue. Really. It It wasn't a huge issue. I mean, if you have Jake Muzzin... I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I mentioned how Tavares sort of ruins everything, his absence, uh, once, once he went out, Muzzin kind of does the same thing because Muzzin makes Justin Hall, basically he turns him into a top from a top four to a bottom parent guy, like immediately. It's just that they have that connection. They can play shutdown minutes together, but Hall cannot do it by himself. I mean, Seth Jones is obviously an elite talent, uh, and he would fit on the right side because, you know, they usually have so many on the left side. I believe he's a right shot defenseman. I'd have to check that. Um, but, I mean, they could certainly find a way. I mean, Jack Eichel's already 20- trending on Twitter. Like, it's just going to be ridiculousness all the way through. Eichel um, for you know, in the it, I mean, I'm sure that's what people are talking about right now. The advanced numbers would suggest that Seth Jones isn't that great of a player. I think he's a stud. I think he'd be perfect. Um but again, like, see what's happening in Vegas. Went after Angelo and now they're just weaker everywhere. And now getting exposed, it looks like by Colorado. Like, sometimes you just have to step step back and make not 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 that you shouldn't make that big deal, because maybe they need to make a big deal and just get two <laughs> for one type of thing going on. Right. But just to go out and try and make that big swing and make your team even more imbalanced, I, I don't think that's the play for the Maple Leafs. But I mean, I I don't even know where to start with what they're gonna do, but. Those are just some names who are not sure to be back next year. Okay, let's quickly talk about the Habs and Jets in round two, in what could be a preview of the gold medal goaltending matchup Ooh. in Beijing. Carey Price and Connor Hellebuck, two of the two of the best in the world, going head to head with the right to get to round three and probably meet those Colorado Avalanche. I mean, do you have an edge right now? I know you're. If I'm if I'm reading between the lines here or the tea leaves with you. It's that you you probably favor the Jets a little bit, but you know, you're 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 you know giving more of a chance to Montreal against Toronto, so maybe you're just like cautiously tiptoeing around what could be a Montreal series. win? I mean,
0: I don't know. Like I, I I'm really big on the Jets and and what they're able to provide. And, and this was before they were able to sweep the Edmonton Oilers, and and the fact that they here's the thing, right? Like a lot of people were looking at the Montreal Toronto series and thinking, well. Early on, you can give Carey Price the edge in goaltending because he's better than Jack Campbell. In this series right now, I mean, Carey Price obviously showed his worth against the Leafs. The Jets have a damn good goaltender in Connor Hellebaugh. Connor Hellebaugh kept them afloat during the last stretch of the season before they ended up in the playoffs. Uh, I also, again, just really like the Jets' top six. And Nikolai Ehlers is healthy and is able to play. But not to mention the Jets, after sweeping the Oilers, have been rested this whole time, uh, as opposed to the Canadians who – are at this point are in Winnipeg right now and are going to have to play Wednesday night and may very well be, you know, a little tired after the, the emotional high of winning a game seven on the road in Toronto. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not going to be short on confidence, but I don't know. I, I think I can see the Winnipeg jets going off to a, a bit more of a refreshed start in their own building at home. But I think seeing what they were able seeing what the Canadians were able to do against the Leafs, you have to give them more respect. You have to give them uh, more props for what they were able to do against two of the best players in the world. It's just that now, like, the Winnipeg Jets, I find their attack is so balanced. It's not as if, like, there's, like, one guy you necessarily have to stop. Uh, Ehlers may go off. Shifley might go off. Blake Wheeler might give himself a good game. Uh, Paul Statsny as well. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets have really good players. And you can go back down to their top nine as well with some of the other players they have down there as well. Have a, they have a really balanced attack. And, I mean, the no the line will have to eventually pick out the one guy they want to fixate on in the line that they'll be on. But there's a lot of different weapons on this team that I think could hurt you at any given moment. I didn't even mention Pierre-Luc Dubois. I know he's had a so-so year. But, yep. you know, I think with the, with the way that the team is set and the way that they're kind of balanced, like I, I think at any point this Jets team could get someone Uh, to get going offensively. So I know I focused on them offensively. I think the Canadiens defensively will be a bit better, but I I still want to give the edge to the Jets here at least. But I think the Canadiens could at least stretch it to six or seven games. I don't see this being a cakewalk for Winnipeg at all off of the fact that the Canadiens also have goaltending. They've shown that they can defend when they really need to. And if they're just patient – they could strike as well with uh, some of the goal scoring that they have. but I just think the goal scoring that the Jets can have is a little bit more lethal, but we'll have to wait and see on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, these are two teams that are going to go a little bit of a Jose Mourinho park the bus style with the way that they're going to approach this series. I mean, both of them took that approach against the high powered offensive teams in the North division, both of which they defeated. Uh, I think you're right though. I think the Jets deserve to be favorites for the sole reason that they have two lines that you have to deal with and Montreal was successful in containing one line um, against Toronto. William Nylander is still able to do a lot of damage, and William Nylander and Alex Kerfoot are not as dangerous as Nick Ehlers and Pierre-Luc Dubois and Paul Stastny. So, I mean, I'd like to see Paul St- or Pierre-Luc Dubois rather, you know, have that impact with Winnipeg that he hasn't had yet. Uh, I think that remains to be seen, uh, but this Nick Ehlers kid is a danger, and he's going to be a handful, and certainly um, it's going to be it could be a rude awakening in game one, uh, on Wednesday night in Winnipeg. But again, it might come down to goaltending. I mean, it always seems to come down to goaltending, goaltending. And we've got two of the very best going head to head at like the height of their powers right now, it seems. Um, so that doesn't always, you know, give us great hockey. Um, but the goaltending duel will be certainly worth watching, uh, Julian, this was fun breaking down this series. I'm kind of glad it went seven games because we too. got to talk. We got, well, like, we were thinking, oh, it's only the last five. We will do this three or four times, but we kind of got extended into five, six, seven. And we kind of got, you know, it was kind of, we, we needed each other to sort of unpack what happened. Yeah. I feel like we relied on each other and we made sense of it all. And now we have a great understanding of one of the greatest tragedy, tragedies rather in Maple Leafs history
0: feel like this series in a weird way kind of brought us closer together even though we are not actually in the same room we are talking to each other on zoom but uh, no I, I actually am in total agreement i think uh being able to kind of break down this series as well as we have i mean you're incredible at doing this stuff uh it's just it's just been cool to kind of hear the perspectives of the canadians and the maple leafs uh throughout the seven game series and hearing what one side thinks and the way that they're seeing things when like, no, like the Leafs are seeing this completely different. Uh, that was really interesting to go through and I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going to be for Habs Jets, but uh, I don't know. Uh, this this Canadians Leafs thing is something that's going to be in my head for a long, long, <laughs> long, long, long time and many a hockey fan as well. And if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan right now, sheesh, the long summer awaiting you guys. Jeez.
1: Well, uh- Well, I'm still going to lean on you for Montreal Canadiens Insight. We'll break down that series and we'll touch on everything else. We've kind of abandoned everything else a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how much we'll do it, but we'll definitely be doing it on the weekends together. So we will will get to that series and we'll get to everything else that is going on in the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I am looking forward to seeing how fans react to you laughing at the start of this podcast in a very jovial manner, manner oh, and man. at the expense of Leaf fans who are so far in their feelings right now, it's not even funny.
0: Wait, I have a question, uh, and I understand that people are going to be listening to this probably the next day, so they already know what's going on. Uh, what's the score in the Islanders-Bruins game right now?
1: Casey Zizika scored an overtime to tie it up at 1-1. So the, the inevitable, as Oof. I thought, TD Garden celebration on the same night that the Leafs against, again had a uh, heartbreak in a do-or-die game. I, I thought that was in the cards, but the Islanders have fought back. So, you know, we got that series to break down. That one won't be over too soon, and we'll be able to hit on everything if Colorado, you know, wants to slow down for us, but they might not do that.
0: Nah, man. the uh, The Colorado Avalanche against the Vegas Golden Knights – it looked like the Harlem glow trotters against like the Washington generals. It was like that one episode of the Simpsons where like Krusty, crusty the clown is watching the game, And he's like, I thought the generals were due. That's what exactly what <laughs> I was thinking. Uh, but man, the avalanche looked really, really good. Nathan McKinnon. Uh, I know a lot of people like to say that Connor McDavid and all the cool things he's able to do, he should be paid way more. And maybe his contract is the best bargain in the league. I think that role should go to Nathan McKinnon. That dude right now is a bad man. That dude is able to produce in the playoffs. He's able to produce in the regular season. And if he gets himself a ring, I think we're going to be seeing people not saying it's necessarily true, but I have a weird feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of people saying, oh, is Nathan McKinnon actually the best player in the world and not Connor McDavid? I think people are going to start debating that.
1: Well, how about this? McDavid is to the Leafs as McKinnon is to the Montreal Canadiens, the proven playoff performer, the Montreal Canadiens over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's leave it there. We'll be back on the weekend. Again, I appreciate you writing and then coming on. A lot of work on these nights. So we we, we appreciate you coming on and giving giving us that insight. Uh, And we look forward to more chats. Stanley Cup playoffs still going, even though the Leafs are out. The Stanley Cup playoffs roll on. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, peace.